You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Katie's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 237. I am your host, Reality Steve. Going to change it up for you this week. Sometimes you just got to talk a little sports. A couple of my favorite things to talk about this week. Sports and gambling. And you mix them together, it's sports gambling. And we're going to talk to one of the more prominent figures in the sports gambling world right now. She's made quite a name for herself in the last couple of years. Her name is Kelly Stewart. She's got a very, very good story. Hope you stick around and listen to this, and we'll get to that momentarily. So let's talk some Bachelorette stuff first. I'd say something fairly important. And bring you back to a few weeks ago where I had said in terms of Katie's Final Four, Blake Moynes was in the Final Four, Greg Grippo was in the Final Four, and I was 99% sure that John Hersey was also in the Final Four. I just didn't know the fourth guy. Well, shortly after that, If you follow Katie on Instagram, she's very social media savvy. She's the most social media savvy lead we've ever had. She's posted more since the end of filming than any lead has posted from the time filming ended till the time their finale aired. Like she just lets us know wherever she is at all times and posts on Instagram and posts stories and posts photos on her feed. Well, if you were following Katie, you know that a few weeks ago, it was like two or three weeks ago. She was down in San Diego with a lot of her female friends from Matt season. And there's a few other guys as well from the franchise that were hanging out down there in San Diego. Well, <clears throat> one of the nights that she was down there, I saw it on the stories. I was like, wow, again, Katie just very, just leads don't do that. It's just all you got to do is look at past leads. They just don't post where they are. They don't post that they're hanging out with other Bachelor Nation people, especially before your season even airs. But whatever. She's doing what she wants to do. However, when she was down in San Diego, I kept getting emails from people that said, did you notice that Katie tagged that she was at a restaurant called Duke's in La Jolla? Did you know that John Hersey actually works at Duke's in La Jolla? And I had no idea where John Hersey worked. I knew he was from San Diego. She's got like four or five guys this season from San Diego. But I had no idea until I was emailed by at least five or ten people. Hey, Katie is tagging that she's at Dukes in La Jolla. That's where John Hersey works, isn't he? In her final four, I bet you that means she picks him. And at the time, it was, you know, it's pure speculation. I mean, I, I, not speculation that John worked at Dukes because apparently he does. But speculation that she went to go see the guy that she picked during work hours while she was hanging around other people. I, when I heard that story, I'm like, she wouldn't be that stupid. There's no way. But at the time, you know, I'm like, yeah, John's in her final four. Um, so now uh, what I can do, and I, and I know this is going to probably upset a lot of people because of ever since that day, there is a lot of people who have been emailing me saying that speculation online is that Katie is with John Hersey. I don't know if it's just because of the Dukes thing or if there was something else that popped up or whatever, but again, 
If all you're going off is social media, you're never going to get 100% of the story. So I'm here to tell you right now, John is not even in the Final Four. So I was wrong about the Final Four for John. John isn't even in the top eight. (laughs) So, yeah. Everyone who was so convinced that John and Katie uh, are the final two and she's engaged to John, yeah, he's not even in her top four, let alone top eight. So, sorry. I know that's going to upset a lot of people. Um, There were things being sent to me in regards to all these different clues that everything pointed to John. And, oh, my God, 100% convinced she's with John. Well, clearly she isn't. He's not even in her top four. You can't be in. You can't be your final choice if you're not in her top four, let alone top eight. I think he finished like in the ninth, tenth, eleventh range, uh, from what I'm hearing. So uh, I know that's going to upset a lot of people, but unfortunately, I'm just relaying the facts. She's not with John because he's not in her final four. He's not even in her top eight. I don't know if there was something else there. Like I said. Or if people were just so convinced that because, you know, when I heard the story, it didn't make any sense to me. Because let's just say Katie had chosen John. They would have gotten a few extra days in New Mexico to spend some time together. I would think that Katie would know he lives in San Diego and what he does for work. So even when I heard that rumor, even though at the time I heard the rumor, I still was under the assumption that John Hersey was in her Final Four, I thought, that doesn't make any sense. There's no way she'd be stupid enough with a group of people to go see the guy that she picked and go to his workplace. Just, it made no sense. She's not that dumb. She's way too media savvy to do that. It made more sense that it's a guy that she didn't even know where he worked and she decided to go to San Diego. And, you know, after the fact, that's what I heard, that Katie had no idea that John worked there. And why would she if he's a guy that finished ninth, 10th, 11th on her season? She probably wouldn't know that. So that always made more sense to me. Not sure why everybody was convinced that she is with him uh, or was with him or whatever, but sorry, he's not. She's not. They're not together. Um, so now I only know two of the final four, and that's uh, Blake Moynes and Greg Grippo. However, I have heard a third. Um and I will hope to have that confirmed by Tuesday when I uh, and I'll mention that in my recap. But sorry, everyone who was on the Katie and John train. He's not even I don't want to say he's not relevant to the season, but he's not even top eight. So womp womp. when I had mentioned last week that I had heard something and I was hoping to confirm it, it was either last week or two weeks ago. I was like, I heard something. It's going to probably upset a lot of people. But I'm just trying to get it confirmed that was it. Like a couple weeks ago, I had heard John's not Final Four. I'm like, really? Huh. So I needed to get that confirmed. I finally did. And telling you that today. Um, I only know that Greg Grippo and Blake Moynes are in the Final Four. I've heard a third name. Again, I got to get it confirmed, just like I got the John thing confirmed. Hopefully, I get it confirmed by Tuesday and have it in the column. But, yeah, John, Katie fans, sorry to tell you. Not happening. Um, okay. Getting on to Bachelor in Paradise, the story broke yesterday <clears throat> that they are going to have rotating hosts, like celebrity cameos are going to ha- go down there and I guess host an episode or something like that. And David Spade is one of them, which makes sense. Anybody that, I mean, a lot of you might be like David Spade from SNL 25 years ago. Yes, that David Spade. If you aren't aware of what David Spade does now, 
he is about one of the biggest Bachelor and Bachelorette fans in the celebrity world that's out there. This guy always talks about the show on his Instagram Live. He does um, a live... I think he goes live during the show, or maybe it's right after, and he uses his clips that he films himself talking about the show while it's airing. But he is huge in the Bachelor Bachelorette world. So the idea that he was going to go down there and be part of it makes total sense to me. Um, They haven't released any of the other celebrity cameos, but he's definitely going to be one of them. So I guess they're going to do like a rotating host thing. And, you know, let's be honest. Even though we didn't see Paradise last year, the first six seasons of Paradise, it is very clear that you don't need a host down there. The only thing Chris Harrison ever did down there was greet the people walking down the steps. That can be replaced by not even showing it. You know? And he yes, does he stand there at the at the rose ceremonies? Yes. But Paradise doesn't need a host. It really doesn't. So I makes a lot of sense that they're gonna do a bunch of celebrity cameos and and David Spade's gonna be one of them. And I'll sure I'm sure we'll hear about more as the season goes on. And then also in terms of Bachelor in Paradise, I know a few of you sent this to me. Um Kelly on her Instagram story last night was doing a Q&A and someone asked her, um, is she single? And she said something about going to Mexico in two weeks. But then right after that, someone asked her, are you going on VIP? And she said, no, I'm actually going to Mexico for vacation. So for those that missed that second part, no, Kelly is not going to be on Bachelor in Paradise. She specifically said she's actually going to Mexico in two weeks, but not for the show. Just going, I guess, to vacation. So there's that. As for who the cast is on Bachelor in Paradise, there are obviously people that have gone media silent. I haven't kept track of all of them. Um, I've seen some here and there. I know Victoria Larson's definitely going to be on Paradise, Queen Victoria. Um, I believe Kelsey Weir is going to be on Bachelor in Paradise. She's down there. There's others. I've just, I haven't really kept track. I was out of town this weekend. But uh, as we get to next Tuesday after I do my recap from Monday's episode I'll gather as many names as I as I can but you also got to remember when it comes to paradise just because you're down there doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be on the show we kind of know who probably will be but there will be people that were flown down to Mexico put up in a hotel room and have to wait and then production will go to them and say you know what we decided not to use you we decided to go in a different direction we don't have a storyline for you so just because somebody's down there doesn't 100% guarantee that they're getting on the show. It's happened a few times in the past. So just keep that in mind uh, as you scour the Instagram pages of contestants who you think might be headed down there. And the, the other thing that's going to be, like I said, I brought this up a few weeks ago, but the other thing that's going to be a little bit weird is the fact that normally the Bachelorette starts usually the week before Memorial Day and they usually get a couple episodes that have aired before the cast heads down to Mexico. So the women on this season of Bachelor in Paradise have seen at least one or two episodes of some of Katie's guys. They're not going to have any of that because they're all going to be away from social media, away from a phone, away from anything. They're not going to know any of Katie's guys or what their personality is or what edit they got on Katie's season in the first few episodes because Katie's season starts airing Monday and whoever's on Bachelor in Paradise, at least original cast, is not going to see any episode, so they're not going to know. They're, these guys are always going to be able to create a uh, their own persona. Um, hell, those guys aren't even going to know how they're being edited on Katie's season because they're going to be filming Paradise. So it'll be an interesting dynamic. 
Uh, I always thought that was always weird that, you know, a lot of the women down there did not see the men on the current season that was airing outside of one or two episodes. So I don't know. Maybe it'll play a role. Maybe it won't. But just keep that in mind uh, going forward. Anyway, uh, just wanted to get that out there. Uh, Before we get to this podcast, next week we are back uh, in bachelorette mode, but um, I wanted to talk uh, to Kelly Stewart, uh, someone who I'm friends with, someone I've met a couple times when out in Vegas. She has been my proxy out in Vegas for the super contest that I've entered in the past and um, got a great story. Um, Maybe you bachelorette fans have no idea in in terms of the gambling lingo that we're going to talk at times in this podcast, and I get it. But I think she's got a great story. I wanted you all to hear it. So here it is, podcast number 237. Okay, let's bring her in. Uh, She came on the national scene in 2019 on the Showtime docuseries titled Action. She is a host and part owner of wagertalk.com. She is professional sports handicapper Kelly Stewart. Kelly, thanks for coming on and doing this. Thanks for having me, Steve. This isn't reality TV-based. Um, every once in a while, I like to go back to my sports roots, talk to someone in the world, in that world, because let's face it, you can only talk so much reality TV. And right off the bat, we can say, you don't even watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette, right? Like, you've never even seen an episode. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of episodes, but no, I've never sat down and watched a full <laughs> episode. I know it's pretty bad, considering that every single one of my friends is obsessed with the show, and I can't even text them on like Monday nights or whatever night it actually airs. Yeah. But they're in luck. I have other things to do on Monday nights usually. Um, are you, is there any reality TV shows that you watch? Do you, are you into any other shows? You know, I'm such a bad, like TV watcher. If it's not sports related, mm-hmm. I don't want to watch it. Like mm. I don't want to watch the news. It's depressing or it pisses me off. I don't want to watch reality TV because it's just kind of a farce. It's a lot of like, it's not stage. real. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not real, even though it's called reality TV. And so I, it's just not something I ever really get into. Like, sure, I'll catch like a Netflix doc here and there or I'll binge watch a series. Like I really got into Game of Thrones. But for the most part, I am just really bad at watching TV unless it's sports related. Mm. And, and that kind of brings me to your kind of I want to know about a little bit more about your background growing up. Like, was this something like, first off, where were you born and raised? Uh, Manhattan. Well, I was born in Kansas, but I grew up in Manhattan, Kansas, which is where Kansas State University is. Yeah. And I, were you someone that middle school, high school, always into sports? Did you play or did you just like watching it? Or did this come on later on in life? Oh, I was always into sports. Um, I was just always so small that, I, you know, I'm like 5'3 now. And it's always funny when people meet me like, oh, God, you're so short. I'm like, do I look taller on TV or on video? I must. I guess um, that's just the thing, but no, I'm definitely short. And it became a point in time. Like, you know, I remember being a little girl and you you played T-ball and then the boys go to play baseball and the little girls go to play softball. I'm like, no, I'm going to go play baseball. Like, you know what I mean? I want to do these things. I want to be around the boys. I want to do all this stuff. Um, And being an only child, my aunt didn't have any kids. So she always took me to do fun stuff. And she took me to tons of K-State games, volleyball, basketball, baseball, and, of course, football. And so kind of became – K-State football kind of became my first love in life that created a lot of heartbreak, yeah. if you could imagine, yeah. <laughs> and uh, a lot of headache and uh, so on and so forth. But, yeah, I mean, growing up, sports has always been in my blood. And I never really quite realized it until I hear people tell me funny stories from my childhood. And they're like, you've always been a gambler. I'm like, what? They're like, you don't remember betting the neighbor kids or you'd be playing, like – pogs 
somebody reminded me of this pog story the other day where you gambled for the pog pieces and you know playing cards and i definitely remember many of times my dad playing the house he would be you know we'd be playing blackjack with cards and he would just take my allowance money and had no <laughs> shame in doing so and these kind of things it's, it's funny how once you hear these stories you're like oh my god i actually remember that that probably solidifies my degeneracy well you know what you know it's funny because you you know you mentioned being small and your height and i don't think i ever i don't think i ever put thought in my head i wonder how tall she is but in the couple times that i have met you um yeah, I guess you were a little. I, I, I mean, I, I never thought you were five ten or anything, but you're always behind a desk every time I had seen you on TV or even on action. I couldn't really tell how tall you were. And then, yeah, I guess there was a. I guess when I saw you, I was like, oh, I guess she is a little shorter than I thought. But it wasn't even something that even. I guess I never thought about it when I saw you, uh, or when I watched you on TV. I was like, oh, she she comes across as five ten. I never thought that. Well, you also have to remember, you know, when you're wearing three or four inch heels, then all of a sudden I become five, seven. But yeah, yeah, look, I mean, I played basketball up until eighth grade and I was good until everybody else started growing. And (laughs) then there became a point where you get a hand in my face and I got no shot. Right. Because I was always scrappy. I always had a, I always had an attitude. I laughed about this the other day. Somebody had a tweet um, and I cannot remember who the player was, of course, off the top of my head. It was one of the Sixers players and he'd fouled out of the game, even though he had no points, no steals anything and I'm like that was that was so me in eighth grade basketball because you are just so competitive and so fierce that you know you're going to get those tiggy tack fouls and sometimes you're going to get some of those intentional fouls but it, it is it is pretty funny to think about because I'm like oh my gosh I'm such an ass like I, I really had the passion for the game and I really enjoyed all of it but yeah there was some you know probably moments where my mom was like on the you know on the bench going why is this my child <laughs> I I remember that tweet from the other day. That was when um, it was from Davis Bertans, who had zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists in 24 minutes and six fouls. And I think you made the comment of like, this would have been my stat back in the day. This would have been my line. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, like it just it got to the point where I just wasn't any good. <laughs> and, you know, there was plenty of girls that, you know, ended up going to play college basketball that were in my high school. So, you know, that and um, coaches also like people that are uh, coachable. <laughs> and I've never I've never really been uh, of, of that nature. I've always kind of just done my own thing. So yeah. was there there was a little bit of a, an issue there as well. Um, you talked about K-State. You attend you ended up going to K-State. And when you arrived at K-State, what were your plans? Like, did you have any? What was your major? What did you want to do when you got to college? Or were you still trying to figure it out? So I went to high school in Manhattan and I was like, okay, I'm going to get out of here. Like I want to go to Arizona state. And my mom's like over my dead body. Am I paying you for a hundred thousand dollars for you to go get drunk every single day in Arizona? And I'm like, okay then. So kind of was one of those things where I had already got accepted to K-State my junior year in the state of Kansas. If you get a certain ACT score, you're basically automatically in. And I think I got, I don't know, like a 27 or something. And so I was like, cool. And then my senior year, I only needed three hours to graduate. So I had to take like U.S. history, algebra two, and then senior English. So the rest of my day was like fuck around hour, right? Like I took ceramics and fly fishing and like all of these stupid classes that I just basically either went to and just didn't do much or I just didn't go because I didn't need them to graduate. And I think that it kind of became a thing where I was like, I just couldn't wait to get to K-State. 
but I also wasn't going to go early because when you're 17, what are you going to do? And so I get to K-State my, you know, freshman year. I live at home instead of the dorms. And then I basically just crashed in my girlfriend's dorm room anyway, because of course that's where you want to be. And it kind of just became this whole thing where I was friends with all of these girls that changed majors like 16 times. And my first year I didn't declare a major because I wanted to take a bunch of undergrad classes. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get a business degree. And part of me wanted to go to law school and be a sports agent. And a lot of people said, Hey Kelly, um, you know, women don't really do that for sports profession really so you might look into something else and I kind of looked into still going to law school it ended up becoming just something that was very undesirable for me knowing that you would either have to work for other people at least you know for a significant period of time and also going back to the whole um, attitude thing I didn't think it would probably be received very well in court so I kind of just kind of pushed that to the wayside and ended up getting a degree in marketing and sales because that's what I was good at. And it was easy. And, you know, then I graduated in 2008 and excuse me, 2007 and 2008 was on the horizon. And it kind of just became a thing where cool, nobody's getting jobs. So I uh, decided I was going to move to Vegas. What made, but what made it, what made the choice be Vegas? Did you have friends out there? Not really. So I was in, let's see. I came to Vegas for New Year's Eve, our senior year, with a girlfriend, and we ran into this guy named Ryan that we kind of all knew from Kansas, and he was a host at um, the Win at the time. There was a nightclub here called Trist, mm-hmm. and he was a host there, and he was like, you should move out here, and I'm like, no, I should not. I should you know, go use my degree and get a, a real job because I've already been a bartender for the last five years in college, and uh, then I started to see kind of the writing on the wall with like places that were hiring and I got a job in Denver. I was going to, I got, I was going to work for a company called Northwestern Mutual and sell, you know, like life insurance and good old things like that. And I was like going to work for the Broncos on the weekends and do an internship. And I had like all of these ideas of like different things I could do. And I'm like, Holy cow, I'm going to be so poor. Like I'm working four nights a week at a bar in college and I'm going to actually make less money with my degree. And my girlfriend, Lindsay, and I were in Jamaica for spring break. And she goes, I'm going to move to Vegas. And I said, what? And she goes, yeah, Ryan basically convinced me that he could get us jobs. And I said, okay. And I remember calling my dad and being like, so I'm going to move to Vegas. And I was like waiting to get like yelled at or told how stupid I was or something crazy. And my dad goes, okay. He was like, you're just going to move after graduation. I was like, yeah, I think so. And that was just the end of it. And we moved out here and it's been a it's been a crazy roller coaster ride ever since. I was gonna say, so you you moved to Vegas and you immediately start working at were you working at Trist or do you work at a different club? No, so neither of us actually got hired at Trist. Oh, because it's the win and it's union. It's really hard to get into places like that because nobody ever leaves. I mean, if you're making hundred hundred fifty grand a year slinging bottles of Grey Goose, why would you ever leave that job? Yeah, and so it was kind of a thing. Um, actually, my very first job was at Coyote Ugly. Oh, and okay, yeah, I worked there. Oh, maybe three or four months. And I was unfortunately only part time because that's, you know, you get stuck at the bottom and also I cannot dance. (laughs) So I was like, wait, what? I actually have to dance. This is part of the job description. And it kind of became this funny thing. And um, I ended up opening a nightclub called The Bank after that at Bellagio. And it kind of just really started to take off from there. And I had about a million and a half jobs in the 14 years I lived here, I feel like. (laughs) That's right. Okay. So. At the Bellagio, when you were doing bottle service at the Bellagio, that's when your break came, right? With 
the whole gambling thing because you did you tweet out a picture of your ticket of the three underdogs? Did, is that how it got noticed, or what happened with that? And, and how so you so basically, I, I was working at uh, Hyde. Hyde. So it was the old nightclub that overlooked the fountains, and I would just go in on Friday night and make my bets for Saturday morning. So I'd go in like 15, 20 minutes early, and I went into the sports book and I made a bunch of bets. I had K State plus sixteen and a half versus Oklahoma, and I had Rutgers, and I had. Oregon State and a couple other um, underdogs. And I was like, you know what? I really like all three of these underdogs to win. And my girlfriend and I had kind of started this thing kind of to just be a smart ass really against some of the guys in the industry that were giving out picks that would, you know, Alabama money line parlayed with Auburn money line parlayed with Georgia money line parlayed with LSU money line. It's like, cool. My mom can pick those winners. But, you know, we see it all the time where one of those teams loses. And guess what? If you got 10,000 to win 4,000, now you got no thousand. And so I kind of started doing this like to be, like I said, kind of like a little smart ass. Okay. You're going to pick three or four outright winners. I'm going to pick three or four outright winners, but it's going to be a hundred dollars that pays, you know, something crazy. And so I had Rutgers to be Arkansas, Oregon state to be UCLA and K-State to beat Oklahoma, all three road dogs and it paid 85 to one. I tweeted the ticket. I went to work. I got up the next morning, Rutgers, I believe went to overtime with Arkansas. They got the win. Oregon State ended up beating UCLA pretty well. And then K-State, I remember at halftime, I was tweeting and everyone's like, you have to hedge. I'm like, I am not hedging. Yeah, Absolutely not. Am I even going to have a conversation about it at this point? I mean, K-State was up, I think, 21 or something at half. And I was like, no, absolutely not. Not doing this. And then, uh, obviously, it worked out in my favor. And then Matt Humans, who's now at VEASAN, reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going to write an article about you in this newspaper and kind of just started to really progress from there. That was September of 2013. And then what came next for you with that? Would you get hired a bit? Did you get hired somewhere or what was like the first so on air gig for? I started, it's a good question. I can't remember if I went to Don Best first mm. or if I went to the review journal or if it was right around the same time. But basically, I just started writing like a weekly article for the Las Vegas Review Journal and uh, Todd Furman, Kenny White, a couple of those guys over at Don Best were like, hey, why don't you come in and do some videos for us? We kind of want to see what your on-air presence is like. And it was it was terrible and it was hilarious because I'm not creative. I basically got roped in with this producer named John who is hilarious. I mean, just in his everyday life, the guy is hilarious. And so what we did was I'd stand in front of a green screen. And he's like, tell me about why you like these games. And it, he would take excerpts of like what I would say. And he would throw out like funny questions to try to get me to say funny things or like unfiltered comments. And then he would splice these videos together that were really, I thought, a representation of a lot of things. Like me trying to be funny, me talking about the games and making them entertaining, right? Like there's mm -hmm. got to be something because we have so many dry personalities in this industry. And I think that's kind of what really set me apart, obviously, outside of being a female, was I wanted to have fun with it. Like, sports gambling should be fun. It should not be a miserable existence. It's miserable when you're losing. I mean, that's the part of it that makes it miserable. Always. Yeah. And so you did that for X amount of years, and then you started, um, you know, obviously – I guess the big break you want to call it was what I mentioned at the at the top of this podcast was Showtime did a docu series, a four part docu series called Action, in 2019, where it basically chronicled the life of four people in the betting world out in Las Vegas, and you happen to be one of the four. 
How did that come to be for you? How did you land that? And well, well, first off, yeah, go there first. How did you? How were you one of the four chosen? Were were they interviewing a lot of people and they just went with the four that they thought had the best story, or how did it come to be for you? I'm honestly not even sure. So at the time, I didn't have an agent. I had just started working for Wager Talk, hosting some of their videos in studio, and I was doing proxy signups at the Westgate. Mm-hmm. And I get a text from Bill Krakenberger, who we have a couple mutual friends. I didn't really know him that well, but I had met him a couple times saying, hey, there's these producers. They want to do a documentary. And I have had probably three or four producers over the years want to to film some stuff. Like I did some stuff with Vice back in the day, and it never really kind of got the traction that they really thought it was going to get. Right. And so I was like, "Ugh, you guys, it's about to be football season. Like this is two weeks. away. I have so much going on. The last thing I really want is a bunch of cameras following me. And I had finished my last sign up. I had a couple of drinks with some of the guys that I'd signed up that I'd known for a while. And I was like, I just don't even really want to go. Like I, I'm, I, and that's not like me. I never blow people off like last minute. Like I'll just tell you straight up either. No, I don't want to do it. Or like, I'll give you ample notice. Like, cause I, I, it is generally rude, but I really thought about just texting like, you know what you guys, like it's been a long day. I've just had two glasses of wine. Like the last thing I want to do is come meet you guys. And so I, I messaged them and they're like, here, 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 we'll come to you. And I was like, okay. So I, they ended up coming to me and now I've had three glasses of wine. And the guy's <laughs> like, so tell me about yourself. And I just kind of just was just very blunt and very honest. And it was like, this is it. Like, and here's where I, here's where I stand and everything. And they're like, okay, we'll be in touch. And I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, ah, oh, they didn't really like me one way or another, which is kind of a good thing in my mind because then I have my football season to actually, you know, do things that are going to pay me money. And uh, it ended up working out that they followed us around all football season. And it was, it was a really fun documentary. I think they did a really good job on it because the crazy thing is, is when they, they literally follow you around almost all football season. So there is, who knows how many hours of footage, but what they chose to use was like, really, I thought, I thought they did a very nice job. Did you get to watch the four episodes before it aired or did you not see the episodes until they aired? Cause you, and you were like, wow, okay, this is what they chose to do. Or were you well aware of and prepared people for what they were going to see? So they emailed us each, like basically like a back, like on a back end website, like a clip. And so I could have watched it prior and I just decided not to. And actually we didn't watch it when it first released. I waited till all four episodes came out Mm. and then like me and my, a couple of my girlfriends and I binge watched it and it was pretty funny to like, everybody had, you know, brings over a bottle of wine. We order some pizza, we, whatever. And we're like, okay, cool. We're going to do this. And it was kind of crazy because like I said, there's just so many things things are like, I mean, there was one part where I think it was an entire Friday because that's about the only day that I actually have free during football season. And they were at my house for like six or seven hours. (laughs) I mean, you can see in the video how red I am because I'm probably like winded from talking so much. And I'm like, okay, next subject. But you know, they, they, that ended up only being like three minutes of the entire show. Yeah, that's the thing. They follow around four people. They had other stories, but they focused on, you know, four main people in that, and you were one of the four. But, you know, it it also, because it's a documentary, they didn't want to, it wasn't all strictly just gambling stuff. It it chronicled a little bit of your life. They even showed you, you know, getting Botox one day. I remember that scene. They had you, you know, out with your girlfriends and on the phone checking scores. Like, 
Like it was actually really like legit. Like I, you know, I, I deal in the reality TV world where it's like they film, you know, twenty four seven for you know, however long the filming is, and then that episode of The Bachelor is literally with without commer- you know, with with commercials, it's eighty minutes of three days of filming that we get to see. So they're picking and choosing what they want to show. Same thing with with action, but you didn't have an issue with any of the stuff that action showed, right? No, not that I know of. I mean, there was my birthday dinner. There was a point where after shots just kept coming over, I was like, okay, you guys have to leave now. And they're like, what? And I go, okay, well, it's my birthday and I'm not with all my best friends. Like you guys got to go. Like I can enjoy myself now. (laughs) This is, this is, you got all the footage you need of Chelsea saying something ridiculous about football. And I'm like, wait, what? You know, and those, those kind of things. Uh, and we're done here, you know, because you do need some sort of like, I, I just couldn't imagine being like a, a celebrity, right. Or that you literally have no privacy ever. Yeah. And that was like the only time that I really like shunned them about, okay, we're done here. Cause for the most part, you know, they were like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Like you mentioned it was Botox. It actually wasn't, it was called micro needling oh. and that's where they stab your face oh, with yeah, yeah. Okay. this needle that's pen. That's got like 25 needles in it at once. And it was so crazy because my girlfriend said this on me three or four times before. And I swear to you, it's never that painful until all of a sudden there's all these people in the room and all these cameras. And I'm like, why does this hurt so bad? Is it because my adrenaline's rushing? Is it because of some other crazy reason? But it was hilarious because people still bring that up way more than the, the funny Tom Brady quote. And that was the only thing that I was like, oh, that could probably get me in trouble later. But it's just true. It was just me just speaking from the cuff. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize is I am foul mouthed. I am a tomboy. That's part of the issue is that I hang out with men all day, every day in a sports book. I mean, there's seven guys and we're talking about which games and they say all sorts of crazy stuff. And next thing you know, I'm using the same language. It's just a, a very like hyper masculine world and I, so I think that like they tried to make me a little bit more dolled up than I actually am. <laughs> but in reality, like, I'm just like, do I really have to do my makeup again? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, it's, it was, it was such an, it was so interesting because it was right around the time when gambling was starting to become, you know, for the, for the longest time, it's basically just been, you know, Nevada, New Jersey. And now we're at, I don't know how many states we're at, 22, 25, I think, are yeah. where it's legal. And, and you know, within five years, I think all 50 states will legalize uh, gambling and have sports books and sports par- book parlors at, at street corners. Oh, arenas are starting to do it now. So, you know, when I when I watched it, I was like, this is I – because mean, I've always been interested in sports and gambling and stuff, and I, I loved the show. And But once action aired, how did then that change your career – trajectory did you and did you expect it to have as much influence and as many more people recognizing you signing up for your like you said your proxy service that you have out there how did it change once action aired I mean my only regret is I was the only one on the show that didn't sell picks I mean there was guys that made a ton of money after that aired uh but the you know the reality is is yeah it got me a ton of exposure I don't necessarily know if it got me a job per se uh, because, you know, I, I ended up hiring an agent afterwards and those guys are over at WME have been really great and they know everyone. So it's been like, oh, cool. You need somebody to do gambling content. Well, here's Kelly. And it's that's been kind of the nice thing is, you know, we're starting to see more women in the marketplace. But being one of the very first kind of has that um, 
I don't know, trailblazers, the wrong word. And I'm probably going to use that because that's who I bet on tonight. But in all honesty, <laughs> that's right. You're on Portland honesty, plus two. That's right. That's yes. Right. Uh, we'll see. I feel like it's starting to be the square dog, but we'll see. Uh, either way, it is kind of just one of those things. So I don't know if it was action. I don't know if it was those guys or if it was like a, a culmination of both. But yeah, there's been some definite people like, hey, I saw you in action. But I think more than anything, the like, the way that wager talk does their videos, you know, we're get. I mean, we get some of our shows get more views than like TV shows. Yeah. And so there's, you know, with SEO and everything on that kind of angle, like those guys kick ass and, and they've definitely helped me catapult to the forefront. Social media definitely blew up afterwards. So I got to give the guys at Showtime some credit, but I'm not sure if they deserve all the credit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, Action was the one that made me contact you in the first place. I think I emailed you. My first email to you was while I was watching Action, and I said, I remember telling you, I was really impressed by you and the fact that you are, and the next topic I want to get into, was being literally the only female uh, in in a in a much-dominated, male-dominated industry. Because, you know, me growing up in Southern California and going to college in Southern California and right out of college – when I was dealing with handicappers and, you know, gambling here a little bit on the side when I didn't have a lot of money, you know, calling the score phone while I'm on dates and checking, yeah. and checking my score pager. I mean, that was me. Uh, that was me back in the late 90s, early 2000s before it was so easy to, to access scores. Um, but, yeah, I that was me. But when you called the score phone and you heard all these guys – um, hyping up their picks. It was I, I. I never heard a woman's voice in the gambling world for 15 years. I, I and then I saw this on action. I'm like, wow, she's really made a name for herself in this industry, and she knows her shit. Like it's clearly, it's clear that you know your stuff. But I, with that said, as you mentioned, social media has changed things in your industry because anything now that you, you know, post online about your thoughts on a game or giving a pick out. You know, the second it loses, every Tom, Dick, and Harry wants to tell you how bad you suck. And oh, always. Well, that's just the thing. It's like there. It, I don't know what the right word is. I want to say cognitive dissonance, but that's not it. There is some like actual theory that I think they're going to start teaching kids in psychology class when it comes to social media. Because you're right. If I post a winner, I maybe get three people that are like, "Hey, that's great. Thank you so much." Yeah. And if you post a loser, you're going to get 30 people that say they hate you and now they can't pay their mortgage, right? And my response to them is practice better bankroll management. But the the reality is you're going to get love and you're going to get hate. It just it, – it is what it is. Yeah. I, I mean it, it certainly has gotten worse over the years. Like I – I mean I can even see it on some of the stuff that you you know, you know put out tonight as we record this on Tuesday. You put out – Portland plus two for tonight and we don't know what's going to happen yet game hasn't started but it's so easy now just to see what people say to you online because all they got to do is look at your mentions or go underneath your tweet and some of the stuff that uh, you've received it's it's unbelievable and you know and and a lot of it is you know misogynistic and now that I see it I'm like this is unbelievable what you have to deal with so the misogyny stuff doesn't bother me right like i may i even made a joke about on thanksgiving and i was like you know something about me being in the kitchen right yeah and that kind of stuff doesn't bother me go make me a sandwich like really could you be any more unoriginal it's more of the stuff that you know actually have to block people over like there were there was a time where there was a guy who found out my address and tweeted my 
phone number and was offering a bounty to have someone quote unquote, leave me in the desert. I mean, there have been times where I've been at the Venetian doing a radio spot at Lagasse stadium. And there's some crazy guy beating on the glass, screaming that he's the greatest handicapper in the world. And, you know, saying all sorts of insane things about me. And I'm just like, I have to walk out to my car by myself. Like, yeah. you know, these, these kind of things have happened over the years. And those are really, I mean, those are so much more crazy to me than anything else. Anybody else is going to say, like, you know, I'm not going to block you because you're like, Oh great. You're so fadeable. Like, like I don't, those things don't bother me, but yeah, there's, I mean, there has been some really hateful stuff said over the years that is, uh, it's scary. It is. I'm not going to lie to you. I've definitely sold my house before because I was, I was concerned for my safety and well-being. That was going to be my next question. Have, was there a time where you felt that your life was in danger at any point? Like actual danger? Like, somebody like did you actually, actually think someone was going to carry out one of the things that they said, or maybe you saw somebody lurking outside your place or something along those oh, lines? Oh, I definitely had people show up at my house, and that was a real thing. Oh, um, wow. I definitely have been followed at the mall. I've definitely had weird things like that, but like actually like somebody is truly going to kill me? No, I don't think so. I also, you know, I, I know how easy it is to hide him amongst anonymity on Twitter mm-hmm. and that, you know, you just get to you just get to say whatever you want, right? Because you think people aren't going to find out who you are, but it's really not that hard to do so. And I really just, I mean, I, I'm actually floored that, you know, 45 year old men sit behind a keyboard and say the things that they say when you're like, aren't you, don't you have a real job? Don't, aren't you supposed to be some prominent person? You know, like, don't you own a business? Like what, where, I, I guess, where in the world do you find the time? I, I'm too busy for this. Like I couldn't imagine making my you know free time basically harassing somebody else online you mentioned that you don't even you don't ever sell picks right that's never been your thing and it's not something you ever want to do right well i did sell picks at don best and that's because you know when i was there that's what the, their model was right they had a screen an odd service where you could check all the lines and they had a pick selling service and so they told me like here you can sell picks and I'm like, well, why do I need to do that? You know, like I'm working at Hyde and I'm betting my games. I'm doing this. And they're like, what if you made an extra $50,000 a year? I'm like, excuse me? Yeah. And that is no lie. I mean, those are real time numbers. I mean, those were real things. And it got to a point where it's not that I think the whole industry is scummy, that there are scummy people, as you saw in action, that do, I think, take advantage of people and that do sell both sides of games and things of that nature. Yeah. And that bothers me. And I think there are some really great handicappers out there where just their write-ups alone and the data that they give you is worth that $29 or whatever you paid them for, right? Mm-hmm. Winner or loser, I mean, you've got to be paying for more than just an opinion. I think to be able to get the data points, to be able to get the information, to be able to get ahead of a line, to be able to understand why – betting three is okay, but betting three and a half is not, or same with seven, seven and a half, six and a half in the NFL. And for them to be able to teach you along the way. Yeah. I think it's a, va- I think it holds a value, but I do think like, look, if you're buying picks off Instagram, if you're buying picks off some random guy on Twitter, it's, you're probably wasting your money. Yeah, no, it is. It is interesting because back in the day, late nineties, early two thousands, where it was phone service. I mean, it was straight up. This was, I mean, <laughs> I just remember some of those calls and the second they had your phone number, they were passing yep. it around to everybody and every, and every handicapper was calling me 
on Sunday morning saying, hey, we've got our NF- NFC you know, lock of the year. You interested? And I'm just like, no. And then, and then they had the list of <laughs> total salesman questions, the list of questions to ask you. Well, why not? Uh, how much do you, how much do you bet a game? And, yeah. How much do you bet a game? Yeah. Those things are always funny. And those people you should just block, but you're right. They do definitely share your information. If you don't think I haven't had my phone ringing off the hook and I, I get bored sometimes. So I do like to, you know, kind of rouse them and see, see how good a salesman they really are. Uh, but it is, it is really a very, CD industry. So for me, when wager talk was like, Hey, we'd really love to bring you on in some capacity. What do you want to do? And I was like, I definitely don't want to sell picks. Like I joked about it, you know, with action. Cause I would have made a ton of money. Like a lot of the guys on the show did, but it, it's just something that where I was like, you know what? I, I really want to see where this takes me professionally. And having that pick selling stigma is probably just not where I want to be. Yeah. And like you said, there, there are, there are people out there that just give picks and are just like, you know, there's no interaction. There's no information. It's just like, hey, we're on Green Bay minus seven this week. And it's just there's no information. There's no write-up as to why. And then you've got guys like, um, you know, the Phil Seals of the world, the Brad Powers of the world that give oh, you yeah, just full give you write-ups. Novel. Yeah. And, and, and it's like, hey, they might give out picks within their newsletters, but they're also giving you a ton of information to make your own judgment as well. And, you know, I've been with Brad – three or four years now, I get his newsletter every week and I think it's great because it's just filled with information. And yeah, he might have picks in there and he's done well some seasons and some seasons, you know, he's hovering 500, but I, I'm, I'm paying for that information that's given to me every week on those games. It's like, Hey, he's doing the work for me. And it's just like my determination of, okay, now that I've read everything on this game, you know, where do I go from here? But um, but yeah, they're obviously the, you know, they call them the scamdy cappers out there that are literally just giving out both sides and uh, you're never gonna, you know, if you fall for that, uh, unfortunately that sucks for you. Um, but, uh, I, one thing I wanted to mention to you about, you know, you talk about your proxy service and how I got in contact with you. Is there, you know, is there, I, I'd like you to promote it for anybody that's listening right now that maybe wants to be a part of it for next football season, or can we do we want to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Listen, if you live in Denver, Colorado, you live in New York City, you live, we've had guys as far as Croatia come and sign up with us. I know last year, uh, given all the limitations, everybody wasn't quite as able to travel to Las Vegas, but that is the stipulation. You travel to Vegas, you sign up at either Circa, at the Westgate, or at the Golden Nugget for one of the many contests in town. Um, and then we handle it from there. This this year, there's 18 weeks in the NFL season, which is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah. And for Circa and for Westgate, you pick five games against the spread, and the person that has the best record at the end of the year wins millions of dollars. I mean, it's it's actually such an awesome concept because, for example, I have a good buddy. Wife just had a third baby. Whoopsie baby. And <laughs> she's like, God, I just wish he didn't gamble as much. And I go, okay. Fair enough. I'll take that as you want me to kick him out of the group chat. She's like, no. And I said, you know, honey, why don't you just have him do one of these contests? He's going to shell the thousand bucks or fifteen hundred bucks. And there's his action for the entire year. And, you know, there's quarterly prizes. There's, you know, what they call halftime. So eight weeks into the, the contest, the Westgate does a mini contest, which is the last three weeks of the season to where you can win bonus prizes for having, you know, those four weeks or three weeks having like a great record and the mini contest is actually what I won 
back in 2014, I went 14 and one the last three weeks of the NFL season, just got hot at the right time, and won 15 grand. And it was after that that my partner Brett and I decided, hey, look, there's there's got to be a market for this. You can grow these contests by being here in Las Vegas on behalf of other people. And the proxy service has been really great. And uh, Kelly and Vegas proxy service at KIV proxy service on Twitter. If you guys are interested and or you can tweet me at Kelly and Vegas as well. We'll get you guys taken care of. Yeah. And you and, you know, people said, you know, you, you know, your prices are uh, fair and you you are allowed for people that don't know um, for these Sunday games, uh, unless you're picking the Thursday night game uh, for the Sunday games with your service, you're allowed to pick up to the latest time. What is it? Um, is it noon Saturday? Yeah. So noon Vegas time on Saturday, if you pick our highest service, which is the diamond service, because we decided this year, you know, we want to be competitive on our pricing, but we also understand that there are some customers that want to pay for that latest service. Yeah. And so we do, we do a gold, uh, we do a platinum and we do a diamond service. So it just kind of depends on what your what your budget is as well as what's most important to you. And for some of those guys being one of the latest submission times is very important because you want to get, especially like last year when there was quarterbacks, you know, potentially having COVID or there was contact tra- attack tracing or we weren't sure if a coach was going to be in. And the Lions move in real life. Well, they don't in the contest. They're all stagnant. So when they come out on, um, either Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on the contest, those lines are done. They are what they are. Yeah. And uh, when I had you, because I didn't, I didn't play last year because I couldn't get out to Vegas last year because of COVID. But when I had you as my proxy service two years ago, I mean, it was my picks were in. And then uh, for those that are interested, that you are mailed an email screenshot of the five picks that I put in. I, I, you, I, you go on your website, you make your picks. Kelly and or Brett goes to the window and puts the picks in for you, takes a screenshot of it. So you know every week that you or Brett did not screw up any of my picks. And I can't be like the end of the week, like, wait, no, I picked them. Like, no, it's exactly. So the cool thing about last year, and it really catapulted the digital age of these contests. So now we don't even have to go to the casino anymore. We're actually able to do it on an iPad in my office or wherever we decide to deem Brett's usually down there in case of anything catastrophic. But the good news is now you, if you're in Kansas or you're in Maine or wherever you are, you can just log into your app and you can see that your picks have been submitted and your five picks. So you're not waiting for an email from us anymore either. You can just log right in and go, okay, cool. It's Friday afternoon. I submitted last night. I just want to double check that everything's in. Perfect. There it is. And so it was, that was one of the really good things about last year was we were able to streamline the service so much, not only for ourselves, but for our customers as well. Yeah, and probably, like I said, probably helped you out, like you said. Um, the fact that you did not have to go to the to Westgate and to go to the window every time, right? Because that's how you had to do it two years ago, wasn't it? Well, they would give you a little card, and you would swipe it, and you'd type in the five picks on the computer, and now it's um, available on the, app. on the app. So it is nice because we were able to give our customers so much more time. We used to have a midnight Friday cutoff, and now we get to move it all the way up to Saturday at noon just because it's saving us anywhere from 30 seconds to a minute per customer. And, you know, when you have a significant amount of customers, it's it's really nice because that kind of trickles back on everybody else. And anybody that, you know, follows football or watches football or gambles on football, you're just like, wow, you only pick you pick five games any day, any five games you want on the NFL week on the NFL slate every 
week. It's any five games. Like you said, the numbers that come out on Tuesday or Wednesday uh, don't move. So you obviously want to wait as long as you can. And some people think like, oh, my God, that's so easy. And it's just like, enter yourself in one of these contests. I've only done it one year, and I was terrible. And I and I and I assume and I I like to think of myself as fairly knowledgeable come NFL season and I think I hit you know I hit 50%. The winner of that pool hit I think 72 that year. Yeah. And it was like and, that's crazy. And it, and it was a couple guys from Kearney, Nebraska and they were yeah. hilarious. And you know, I got a text that was like on the last Sunday, did you think a couple of hillbillies would ever win this contest? And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly who wins these contests. You don't see the sharp guys winning these contests. They don't. And, they and, do not win these contests. It is average Joes every single year. Smart guys. Like we had a we had a couple of years ago from Circa, we had a lawyer, but he's not doing anything different than somebody else. He still has a full time job. He still is privy to the same information. It's it's actually awesome to see the guys that actually do win it be what I would say is just an average Joe that watches football on NFL Sundays. And the super contest winner, those two guys from Nebraska two years ago, the one the season that I played. I think the final tally ended up being what one point two million, one point three. They won. Uh, one point six. Oh, one point so six. I, yeah, it was like it was it was pretty significant, and you know to see them to be able to cash that was was really awesome. And both really great guys, Matt and Eric, are hilarious. And uh, I got to get to Kearney, Nebraska, this summer and play in their <laughs> uh, their charity golf tournament. Oh. They- did they start it because of the, this win, or is it something they've oh, always done? I think they already were kind of involved oh, okay. um, in, in the community, and I think now they just, you know, when you get a little extra jingle jangle in your pocket, <laughs> life's, life's pretty good, right? Yeah, no, no kidding. Um, so, I mean, as we wrap this up, like, where, like, I, I, when you were at Kansas State, this probably was never a thought in your mind that you were going to be, you know, a uh, a professional sports handicapper i don't i don't think that's ever you know like it ever crossed your mind you liked watching the games and and betting them but i don't think this was a a career trajectory for you but now that you're in it and um where does it take you from here where do you want to go from here yeah that's uh, it's kind of always been a question is how did you get here and where do you want to go and i'm just trying to enjoy being in it right and getting to literally get paid for doing something I love, something I'm actually passionate about. And not a lot of people can say that, but I, I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. To be honest with you, being part owner of Wager Talk, I want to build that media company up to as big as it can be. I want to do some more linear, which is TV, uh, even though we know that digital is on the up and coming front. And basically, I, when I retire, at some point in time, I would like to be known as the Linda Cohen of sports betting, right? Mm-hmm. Linda was the only female that was on TV when I was a kid, right? She did Sports Center and she was it for a long time. And I think she really paved the way for a lot of other women in media broadcasting. And obviously I never thought I was going to do TV or radio or any of this stuff because I didn't go to school for broadcasting. It was never no one said here you should speak like this. Here you here's how you write a, you know, an actual article for a newspaper. It just was kind of a learn as you go. And I've been very fortunate to have a ton of mentors. So for me, that's kind of what I'd like to pay back and be able to mentor some other women in the community and be able to give them advice and tell them exactly what not to do. Here's all the mistakes I made. Let me help you not do the same thing. Yeah. No, I mean, I, and like I said, when I was coming up in early, late nineties, two thousands, 
I never heard a female voice when it came to gambling, uh, whether, I mean, radio really wasn't a thing back then in terms of gambling, but it was all, you know, on the phone and, you know, early morning, Saturday morning shows when, when, when Kelso and Jim Feist and those people would sit around a round table and give their picks and stuff like that. I, there was no, women were never involved. And, and when I saw you and I was like, wow, this is pretty impressive because I know that she probably takes a lot of shit just being a woman in that industry because guys automatically have this, oh, I don't need a woman telling me about sports. I've talked to you enough to know that you know probably more than the average guy that claims I don't need a woman telling me about sports. Trust me. I mean, you know your shit, and that's what has been so impressive about you, and it's been really cool seeing your career kind of take off since action. I'm really uh, – I'm very impressed by it and always have always told you that too. Um, I've always – I've liked it. I'd like seeing – where things have gone for you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes in the future. And um, one last question. Do you remember your first bet either at a window or through a book or who, whatever? I do. Uh, my very first legal Vegas bet. I was 19 years old. I won a, <laughs> uh, there was, uh, look, look, I was in college. Uh, there was a bikini contest at a bar and first prize was a thousand dollars and two plane tickets to Vegas and a hotel room in Vegas. And I won. And then I realized, wait, I don't have a fake ID. Neither do any of my friends. Who am I going to take to Vegas? And my sister, Nevada, my half sister, Nevada is 15 years older than me. And she had two little kids. And I remember calling her husband and being like, Hey, can I take Nevada to Vegas? And he's like, why? And I go, well, I don't have anybody else I can take. So I remember getting a horrific fake ID going through at the bar I worked at going through the box and like trying to guess who kind of looked like me and came to Vegas. And I remember the very first night we went to ghost bar and I was getting in and the guy looks at me and goes barely and just <laughs> lets me and my sister walk in. And the funny part was we were at New York, New York the next morning and I'd called my dad to say, Hey, we didn't die our first night in Vegas. And he laughed and he goes, um, how much cash do you have on you? And I was like, I don't know, a couple hundred dollars. And he goes, all right, well, why don't you go over to the window and we'll bet some money on K-State to win the national championship game that year. So this would have been 2003. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny because they didn't even ask for my ID. <laughs> Not wow. even once. Not even my terrible fake ID. And so I had a $100. I think we bet $100 on K-State to win the national championship. That was my first Vegas bet um, that was – Somewhat legal. Yeah, and it was so. Your first Vegas bet was a futures bet. You didn't. It wasn't even. Yes. A, do you remember your first solo game? It was game probably bet? one of my very last futures bets. I'm not a big futures better. Uh, I I don't like to lock up my money for that extended period of time. I think there are some great bets if you can find a hedge opportunity later. Yeah. If you you know feel like cool, I'm going to take this long shot team to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and then you'll be able to hedge there or something of that nature. It would be it would be advantageous for you. I'm just not that great at uh, being a fortune teller. I like to look at the games for what they are for that specific day or week and be able to just dive into it as opposed to trying to find some value of sorts within the bookmakers that put up these crazy numbers and have a certain hold percentage on their futures book. You know who is good at predicting those futures is Vegas Dave. He's excellent at that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Oh, Lord. What a piece of work. Um, do you remember your first solo play? Like, first point spread game that you ever bet? At the. Ooh. I, Ooh. 
I remember I mine. I think I do. I think I was with my buddy Jeff at Green Valley Ranch, and I think it was an NFL Sunday. I walked up. I, he wasn't there, and so I walked up to the window right before kickoff, and I bet the Broncos plus three and a half. And then I turn around, and he waves at me. And I go to sit down with him, and he was like, what would you bet? I go, Broncos plus three and a half. He goes, that's a winner. I've got whatever the other side was, right? Yeah. And I go, what? And he goes, that's already a winner. And he was not lying. I think the Broncos just won like 35 to 10 or something really egregious. Oh. And he goes, you're knack for picking winners. And I was like, uh, I just really like, you know, this Broncos team. I don't remember who it was. Probably somebody terrible like Jay Cutler was the quarterback or something like that. Yeah. And it was just kind of a, a funny thing. And Jeff was was probably my very first mentor. And would I really liked it because he would ask me, like, explain to me why you want to bet this game. Let's look at the math. Let's look at the the actual data behind this instead of just throwing darts like most people do. And, and I would say just basically you're more of a, from what I've seen and, and, and speaking with you, you're more of a contrarian better. You like going against the public, right? If, if you well, had to this choose is a side. weird thing. And, and John Murray, I did a podcast called Kelly and Murray with a bookmaker from the Westgate the last two years. And that's what John Murray said to me last year. And I go, that's actually false. And he's like, so why are you, why does it always seem to be? And I'm like, I just think that my logic is against them. So like, let's just say this, the numbers are always going to be the same, right? Whether in theory, right? If we're talking power ratings, if you get some guys, you mentioned Brad Powers, Dave Koken, yeah. Ralph Michaels, whoever it may be, right? The numbers at the end of the day are going to find a half point maybe at Circa. You may find a full point at a book like a William Hill. But very rarely are the bookmakers going to just give you an easy layup and say, oh, yeah, this is one and a half points off the market. And so when I start looking at the games and I'm like, okay, cool. There's a half point here. Okay, cool. This is kind of crazy that South Alabama should actually be a three point favorite here yet. They're only at, you know, at a pickup, right? There's some of the smaller conferences where you can actually see some deviations in the power ratings, but we're talking sec, big 12, PAC 10 ACC. You just don't see that. And so you've got to kind of sift through that and see what else is drawing your attention to the game. And, it is not that I'm a contrarian better, but it just also happens to be that I look and I'm like, oh, 95% of all the tickets are on Alabama minus 52 today. I wonder why. <laughs> and then they let Arkansas score some bogus last second touchdown and everybody in the book is like awing and going, oh, oh, groaning. And I'm just sitting there with a smile on my face like, well, uh, the line was just a little too high. You know, but in reality, that's because the bookmakers are baiting you to that one side. So I don't think I'm inadvertently. It's not like I wake up in the morning and I'm like, let me see where the percentage of the tickets on this game are on before I make a decision. It's like, I've already made my decision. I've looked at the numbers. I've looked at maybe some trends or angles to back it up. Maybe a situation, whether that's, you know, a starting quarterback being out, for example, you know, no Anthony Davis for the Lakers is the line overreacted at a certain point in time. It really, it really is like one of the last things I happen to catch. And it's like I catch it on Twitter because FanDuel tweets that, you know, 88% of the tickets are on, you know, the Padres today or whatever. It's never I go out and seek that information. It just kind of happens to be. So it's hard to say that I'm a contrarian better, but I do end up on against the public a lot. Well, that's the thing. But there's nothing wrong with being a contrarian better because the public, as we know, there's a reason there, you know, the, the old saying, there's a reason that Vegas – keeps building new hotels it's because the public loses a majority of the time so if you're constantly betting against 
who the public is always on, in the long run, you're probably going to do better because the public is usually wrong in the long run. I'll give the public a little bit of benefit of the doubt. We mentioned selling picks. They're, they're getting smarter because they're becoming more educated. Yeah. Either that's with themselves or they're paying for picks or they're watching shows on wagertalk.com or, you know, <laughs> shows on other channels that offer sports betting advice. I think that's a, I think that's a real thing. I do think that they're becoming more educated. The other thing is, is something that people don't realize. And this is the bottom line. It is so hard to lay 11, to win 10, and to be able to win long-term. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that don't know what that means, that means the 10% that the bookmakers are charging you to take that bet will absolutely kill you in the long run. If you're not disciplined, it will kill you in the long run. If you are also laying minus 115, minus 120, I mean, you got to shop around. You've got to get the best of the number at any point in time. And whether that includes the juice, I mean, I know guys that charge minus 108. And you see some books on the East Coast that charge minus 120 on both sides. You should never bet at places like that, ever. Very true. And there's also, I know that, um, you know, I love to tease and um, you hate that. So we'll always disagree on teasing. <laughs> Listen, I, I think that there is some real value in teasing through key numbers in the NFL. Yeah. The end. Just college football teasing, just never. Never, ever, ever college football teasing. Uh, it's there's just too much variance, yeah, right? We know sure. top to bottom as bad as the Texans are going to be this year and as bad as the Jaguars could be, as bad as we may see the Bengals be. Teams like that are going to win. And when they do and you tease, you know, the Browns minus three and a half through zero on a bad number, you're just going to lose longer term. We know if you tease through key numbers, three, seven, we know that other numbers are starting to become more key. Four, five used to be a dead number. It's not a dead number anymore in the NFL. Yeah. We don't see that in college football because the variance is so great. From the Alabamas of the world to the Kent States of the world, there is a very large gap. And that's where the problem becomes, where each one of those numerical point spreads hold less and less value to lay 130, 140, 150 on a teaser. And that's where the issue really, really arises when it comes to teasers. What juice are you paying and what are you getting in return? Yeah. And I think one of the, fa I think one of the most fascinating numbers in the NFL last year was the fact that the chiefs who were everybody's darling and everybody loves betting the cheats and they became a public team because they have Patrick Mahomes and this offense that is unstoppable and the last eight games of the regular season last year, they didn't cover any of them, yet they won every game. And it was just they were a they were an absolute fade team, yet I guarantee people were betting them every single week because they're the Chiefs. And they're like, Oh, they put up a lot of points and they have Patrick Mahomes and And we saw the exact opposite for years where sharp guys were trying to fade Bill Belichick and the Patriots yeah. and trying to bet on teams like the Browns. And it's like, why are you overthinking this? Just let it be. This is an absolutely miserable existence to think that you're going to keep betting against these teams that the market just hasn't caught up with. Yeah. And and that's exactly what the chiefs were is I think people kept thinking, okay, well it's the Raiders. Well, then as seven and a half, eight point favorites, they end up losing outright in Kansas city. If you tease the chiefs and a seven and a half point teaser down to a pick them, you were hating life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it was amazing that they couldn't even – I mean, they, they covered a few teases when they were laying six or seven at home, but if you just take straight up against the spread, they uh, their number against the spread last year was terrible. They were awful. And then they got to the playoffs, 
and the only playoff game they covered was the home was the AFC Championship against the Bills, and but then they get to the Super Bowl and they don't even score a touchdown. I mean, it was. It, I mean, for a team that went fourteen and two in the regular season, for them to be so bad against the spread last year was kind of amazing. I mean, because usually that shit kind of evens out. Like you look at the and numbers. It, you, in theory, it should, but yeah. especially on teams like that, you're going to be paying a premium to bet those teams each and every week because the bookmakers know. They're going to get 80% of the tickets on that side, no matter how high they make the line. So if they know that you guys are going to bet it at seven and a half, why not just go ahead and make it nine and protect themselves in a teaser situation, right? And that's exactly what you see each and every week. That's not money moving it. That is a teaser protection. The bookmakers take a little bit of money at seven and a half and say, you know what? Screw it. We already see the writing on the wall. Let's just go to nine. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, you, you know, every weekend, if you have a, if you have a public team, Packers, Steelers, now the Chiefs, I guess, are a public team. Uh, Cowboys, if they're laying six or seven at home, average Joe is putting them in a teaser down to one or a pick because they're just, oh, all they have to do is win the game. If it were that easy, <laughs> we'd all be rich. <laughs> it, exactly. It's just not. I mean, and the funny thing is, like, when you go to baseball, same thing with baseball. Like, there's 162 games in a baseball season. There's a lot of – but the the one thing I've always known about baseball gambling is – the best team in baseball still loses 60 times a year. That's why I've always thought baseball is a very good sport to bet because that that good team, the team that wins 100 games and goes 162 on the season, they still lost 62 times, and I guarantee in those 62, they were probably favored in 50 of them. So the Oh, easily, and, and that's the scary part, right, is that you have teams like the Dodgers, you have teams like the Yankees, you have teams – uh, like a couple of years ago, the Nationals. Now it's Boston. Now it's Houston. You see teams that people can't wait to fade, like the Marlins, like the Orioles. Yeah, those teams still win games. Still and win sixty games a, a year. Nice plus money next to them. You got to be able to pick and choose. But look, if you're laying three dollars, two dollars, dollar fifty on the Dodgers every single night as an average line, you're going to lose long term throughout the course of the season. And then that's just the bottom line. The math. And the juice will eat you alive. Yeah, and the, and the, and the Dodgers laying one fifty—that's like being generous. I mean, because they're all their games this year are, you know, between probably one eighty and two twenty, two fifty, just because they're the Absolutely. Dodgers, especially if they're at home. So, Kelly, we could talk about this for hours, but I know you got to run. Thank you so much uh, for coming on and doing this. I really appreciate it. Uh, we will be in touch. Good luck with everything, and uh, yeah, we'll certainly be in touch. Thanks, Steve. You got it, Kelly. Bye. Have a great night. You too. Thank you so much to Kelly for that. I really appreciate her coming on. I understand a lot of you Bachelor Bachelorette fans might not have understood a lot of what we talked about. Maybe your husbands or boyfriends want to listen to it. Um, but Kelly, like I said, good friend of mine. Um, been a couple years since I've known her now. Uh, I met her a couple times when I've been out in Vegas. And I just I love her story. And... Being a woman in such a... I mean, we're talking... There there are women that are in male-dominated fields, but in terms of sports handicapping, there's literally... I, there's a couple more names that are now out there, women that are, are giving away picks and stuff like that. But Kelly, as she said, was kind of the pioneer of this. I know she doesn't want to admit it, but in terms of giving picks and talking about spreads... And analyzing games in that way, yeah. I I suggest a lot of you, if you can, if you're into sports, maybe you're not into sports gambling, but you're into sports, go check out Action on Showtime. 
It came out in 2019. It was a four-part docuseries that literally just chronicled four gamblers in Las Vegas through a whole football season. And it was really, really interesting. Obviously, it took, I took a major interest in it because I've always, you know, like sports gambling. And I had heard Kelly's name, like, on the Internet a few times by a couple of the Twitter accounts that I follow. But then to see her on there, to kind of hear her story a little bit, and I, I just thought it was, I, I just thought, like, wow. I mean, talk about a male-dominated industry. And she sticks out like a sore thumb because she's really one of the first, if not the first, to really put her name behind it and talk about picks and talk about spreads and breakdown games. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, next week we are back uh, with Katie's season starting up. We're going to talk Bachelorette. We're going to talk break down the first episode. Uh, looks like with Wit and Rye. Uh, you know them from their YouTube show. I've been on their show a couple times. They've never been on this podcast. So we're actually going to be on each other's. We're, I'm going to record with them. They're going to be on next Thursday. And I'm going to be on their YouTube channel as well next week. So look for that. So I want to thank Kelly for coming on. Thank you all for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple Podcasts. It is much appreciated. And we'll be back next week. Katie's season starts on Monday, and then we are basically nonstop for the next seven months, roughly, because we've got Katie's season, we've got Paradise, we've got Michelle's season, and then, you know, straight into the next Bachelor season, even though it hasn't officially been announced. I, I expect it to be at some point. So, for Kelly Stewart, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in to podcast number 237, and we will talk to you next week. See you!